Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. It is a Thursday night. It is 8 p.m. Central. It is Thursday night tide right here on the YouTube and podcast homes for BamaOnline.com. Travis Ryer alongside team expert, Mr. Clint Lamb. We're going to get you through the first 25 minutes or so of tonight's program. Then we'll be joined by Jimmy Stein coming up around 825 and we'll go with Jimmy and Clint, the trio, kind of a three-man weave here from 825 to 835, and then Jimmy and myself to round things out from 835 till 9. You are welcome to jump on board with your comments and questions, and with that, Clint, you know, we kind of talked about this in the pre-show. I've got my Jags taking on Tim's Saints while we're doing this, and the Jags just scored again to go up 14 to 3, but if for some reason it just sort of goes radio silence on this end, just, you know, how I mean, you know, the deal, you just jump in and take over, right? Is there any gentleman's bet going on between you and Tim? You know, there should have been, and we didn't really do that. You know, I think it's just, I think bragging rights sometimes are enough, you they, know? Yeah, they are. Bragging rights are enough. And speaking of which Tennessee, Alabama cigars on the line this week. And I got to think, after going without for the first time since 2000 and gosh, six, that was the last time Alabama before last season didn't get to taste those cigars in the post game after a win over the Tennessee balls. I got to think even Nick Saban who said earlier in the week, not big of a, not a big cigar guy. He'll chew on one, but I think even, you know, even Nick might be relishing the return of the cigar after this one. 
it's incredible what, you know, you go 15 years without losing, you lose one and all that trash talk that's been flowing one way for a decade and a half starts flowing the other direction a little bit. And it's amazing how quickly everybody had talked about is Tennessee really an Alabama rival at this point, you know, a rivalry is supposed to include at least a little bit of back and forth. Well, it's very quickly turned into that. Not only did they win last year, but there are some people who feel like Tennessee has a pretty good shot of winning on Saturday. So I, I will say this. I'm sure Alabama fans would love to win 60 to nothing every time they play Tennessee from now until the end of time. But at least it makes the game more interesting and it's supposed to be and it's supposed to be fun because it's a rivalry. Yeah, exactly. And in many of those games in that 15 game win streak for Alabama, the games just really weren't competitive. I guess you could go back to 2009 with Terrence Cody and Rocky Block in Tuscaloosa as being one of those rare exceptions. You know, 2015 was sneaky tight. That was a 1914 Alabama win in Tuscaloosa. And that could be the kind of game, Clint, that we're in store for on Saturday in Tuscaloosa. I think when we look at the predictions that you compiled of our BOL staff, for the most part, it seemed like if Alabama can get to the mid-20s in this game, at least that's my feeling, and I think your score sort of reflected that too, that's been the sweet spot for Alabama, especially in SEC play, I guess other than Mississippi State. But get into the mid-20s with that defense and you feel pretty good with that home crowd at your back, being able to maybe restore some order on the third Saturday in October. Yeah, it's incredible what a year can do, right? Because last year it's 52-49. It's offense all over the place. Nobody can stop anybody. Uh, And, you know, that's a different style of football game than what we're expecting on Saturday. Uh, You got two very different quarterbacks in there who are not as experienced, even though Joe Milton has, you know, plenty of experience by this point. And, I mean, Jalen Milrow at the same time, too. He's now got, you know, a handful of starts under his belt where he's got a lot more experience. He knows what he's doing a little bit more. Um, but yeah, mid twenties to me, just on a, on a surface level with the way both defenses are playing, I feel like that's going to be enough. Now it could creep up into the high twenties, low thirties. Who knows? It could be another 52 49 for all we know this season is, I, I felt like this season more than any in recent memory, maybe ever for me, at least has been so difficult to gauge just what you're going to get on a week-in, week-out basis. And so I'll be curious to see what we get out of Alabama on Saturday, but we are expecting a good game regardless. Yeah, a very competitive game is to be expected. I think a physical game, too. Uh, You think about the explosiveness of both these offenses, and really for Alabama, that exists in the passing game. We did see a few more explosive types of runs from Alabama against Arkansas last week. Certainly needed to see more of that from the Alabama offense, but for the most part, you're thinking Jalen Milrow and his receivers. Meanwhile, for Tennessee, in sort of a 180 from a year ago, it's going to be more about the ball's run game, and especially a guy like Jalen Wright, who you look at uh, what the last, uh, uh, the last few games, especially against uh, Texas A&M last week, eight runs of 10 yards or more. So if you're thinking about a to-do list for the Alabama defense, those splits, those wide receiver splits, all that stuff is important. The tempo that Tennessee works at, uh, but to break it down maybe to its most fundamental level for Deontay Lawson and Justin Aboigby and Tim Keenan and you know some of those big guys up front, uh, it's going to start with dealing with that Tennessee rushing attack. 
Yeah, and I think Alabama's run defense is even better than it the numbers reflect because you've seen Alabama in certain situations, the third and mediums, the third and longs, where t- uh, teams have elected to run the football, catch Alabama off guard, and that's where, especially Mississippi State, that's the big one that comes to mind. They caught off Alabama off guard on multiple occasions, and that's where a pretty decent chunk of their yardage has come from. Uh, playing the run straight up against this Alabama defense, uh, or you know, playing you know, or, or trying to implement a rushing attack, it's very difficult to do. Alabama's de- interior defensive front has been very effective. Their edge guys. That was a big question mark for me going into the season. I thought as good as Will Anderson was as a pass rusher with Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell both being very good in that area as well, I thought trying to replace Will Anderson, the run defender, would be a much more difficult task for the edge guys. And I give Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell a lot of credit. You know, they at least Braswell beefed up about, you know, 15 pounds to 255. That seems to have helped him set a better edge. Uh, a little bit more consistently. And Dallas Turner, he's always had the traits and the ability to do it. It's just doing it on a more consistent basis. And I think both guys have really improved. So it's going to be a fun matchup to watch for sure. You know, it, it puts to to test the approach that Alabama takes this week, the defense, because Tennessee does work at such a fast rate and a pace on offense, an offense that really wants to get this thing to 70-plus plays on offense for Tennessee uh, with that hurry-up, that fastball approach, as Nick Saban refers to it. And really, a key number within that is probably 50 runs. You really need to be able to keep Tennessee to fewer than 50 rush attempts in the game because if they get to 50-plus, Clint, that means in all likelihood they're having enough success to stick with the plan and not put too much on Joe Milton and that depleted receiver core after the departures of guys like Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt, and then the injury to Brew McCoy this season. If you're Alabama, as crazy as this may sound to some Crimson Tide fans, after the way in which the balls lit up the Alabama defense through the air a year ago, you want to make Joe Milton throw the football 30, 35 plus times in this game. Yeah, if you're an Alabama fan, just from a you know, if you're trying to become familiar in, in what you should expect Alabama's defense to want to do in many ways, it's how would you want an, an opposing defense to attack Alabama's offense? You know, you want, if you can, force Jalen Milrow to throw 30 to 35 times. And I will say that when you are on the road like Tennessee is going to be, the communication becomes that much more critical, especially when you're going tempo. And when you look at Tennessee and what they've done on the road, I mean, you look at Georgia last year, you look at South Carolina, you look at Florida this year, when they've been in tough, hostile environments, that tempo trying to communicate at a very quick uh, pace, and there's a lot going on, you're dealing with crowd noise, it, it can really hinder your ability to do that efficiently and effectively. And so I think that the crowd could end up playing a critical, uh, you know, be a critical piece in this football game. That's certainly something to look out for as well. Yeah, you want to get Tennessee out of its comfort zone, get some pre-snap penalties mixed in here get Tennessee in first and 15 second and 12 more of those long yardage situation and I say that but I also understand I think and you touched on some of this earlier and I think it's valid the points that you made 17 runs of 10 yards or more the Alabama defense has given up in four conference games so far that's pretty good I mean four or so a game that's not bad for a defense 
Nine of those came against Mississippi State in that game you you mentioned earlier. And six of those came on second and third and long situations. And I agree. Mississippi State kind of found themselves in a situation with Alabama leading and taking command of that game. If you're Alabama, you're protecting against the big plays, probably more so through the air. But we've also seen Texas. We've seen other offenses. Arkansas a little bit last week was able to do it. Sort of goofy foot Alabama when it's in its pass rush personnel and you know when it's thinking more about getting after the quarterback and maybe getting out of some gaps and exposing itself to some runs. And that's what I'm expecting, too, from Tennessee on Saturday. I think second and long, third and long, as much as you may want to get after Joe Milton, you're going to have to still honor the run. And I think personnel is going to be very interesting, too. I know you track this stuff for us extensively at BamaOnline.com. But when you open possessions against an offense that works at the speed like Tennessee's does, you got to make some choices that essentially could span the entire possession. You got to be ready to go with a group that from the first play of the possession through the last, you're okay with being out there. And when I say that, you know, with Tennessee's ability to run the football, are you going to be more big nickel to open some possessions? Are you going to be more with two outside linebackers on the field in that nickel package. And I think the point you made about Chris Braswell is an important one because he is up to 250, 255. So he's equipped in a way probably even better than Alabama was a year ago to handle those situations if that's the path you choose to take. Well, I wonder how much the USF game was kind of a blueprint for how Alabama could attack this game defensively because they, for a majority of the year, They've gone in that heavy big nickel, uh, you know, as far as the main package that they deploy against USF because they knew there would be a lack of substitution opportunities. They wanted to go with more balance, which, Mm -hmm. you know, they felt like they could get more uh, as far as their pass rush by having two outside linebackers on the field along with two defensive linemen. And they felt like they could still stop the run effectively enough against Tennessee. It's a little bit different because they have been so effective running the football. And when you look at last year, they kind of let Alabama pick its own poison, right? I mean, it was all a numbers game based off of what Alabama was trying to put in the box versus what they weren't. If they were going, you know, trying to go two high looks, getting guys out of the box to maybe cover the pass a little bit better, Tennessee was such an effective run team, an underrated rushing team last year that they just hammered the football and they were getting, uh, you know, five or six yards pretty much at, at will. And so that entire game, they lived in second medium, second short, and that continues to leave your playbook wide open. And so I thought that that was a, a, a major factor in how last year played out as far as Alabama giving up 52 points. And it's something that, you know, I'll be curious to see if Tennessee is able to do that, how Alabama attacks, like you mentioned, with the, the front personnel. Uh, it, do they continue to – well, if Malachi Moore is unable to play, do they kind of continue to use the personnel to dictate who plays star? or if do Mal- they? If Malachi can go – do you just look at Terry and Arnold and Kool-Aid McKinstry and say, look, you got to man these guys up. You know, this isn't Cedric Tillman. This isn't Brew McCoy. This isn't Jalen Hyatt. This is Squirrel White. You know, all due respect. This is Ramil Keaton, who has struggled with some drops from time to time this season for Tennessee. A lot of heat on Joe Milton, but his receivers haven't always helped him either. Is, is that what you think? You, you challenge those corners with if Malachi can go. 
I, I, yeah, I think so. Because I think you're in a much better position with where Tyrion Arnold is at as far as his, his growth and development and where Kool-Aid is at as far as being viewed, you know, maybe not as a pure lockdown corner, but as close to that without necessarily being labeled as that as you could probably get. Uh, so you've got two potential day one draft picks out there on the perimeter. And Alabama's defense typically has been fairly confident in leaving their you know perimeter corners on islands and letting them go to work a little bit. And so I could totally see that being the approach. Uh, now, granted, uh, you know, if, and this is might be a critical point for Tennessee. If they can take advantage of that early in the football game and force Alabama out of it, that would, you know, certainly help open things up with the run game and things like that. So I could see, you know, Tennessee trying to take a couple of early shots and get get Alabama to kind of have to respond, which is exactly what they did last year. They did a great job of forcing Alabama to kind of stay on its heels. And, uh, and that, you know, that ended up playing a huge factor in how that game played out. This year, it's a much different look as far as what Tennessee is effective at. They still want to do some of the things they did last year. They just don't have the ability necessarily. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's certainly a great point. Yeah. You know, you think Tennessee in the last two games in this series, man, you know, Alabama has lit up the scoreboard scoring 101 points or like 150 almost in the last three games. But in the last two games, Tennessee in the first quarter has scored 35 points. Now, had the lead in each of the last two games after the first quarter. So the fast start for the Vols, I don't think it's been as much of a thing this year, but with Hendon Hooker and those receivers that Tennessee had the previous two seasons to go along with that run game, uh, you better show up to the park ready to go. Everyday American, as we'll check in, Clint, with some comments and questions here from our viewers. Uh, If the offensive line can block... We can have a great game. Yeah, I think uh, everyday American, that's a a reasonable expectation. And I think everyday American is referring to those struggles that Alabama has had from time to time. I thought it was important for Alabama in a game in which it should have run the ball effectively last week, Clint, that it did that. You know, still had the sack issue, still got that elephant in the room, so to speak, at left tackle. But Those backs for Alabama, the four backs over 200 yards rushing in the game. Um, With Tennessee, uh, it is a defense that thrives on negative plays, uh, has some unquestionable playmakers in James Pierce Jr. and Aaron Beasley and uh, those guys uh, across the board, really. But, you know, when you think about this offensive line, is it still just left tackle that you look at that you have your biggest concern about or do you even look at the interior interior as Seth McLaughlin sort of picked up his play there at center? What about Jaden Roberts ste- stepping in there at right guard? Seems to solidify some things as well. Yeah, it's so interesting. It, when you get to what is considered what or what has been considered your third string guy at right guard, that should come with the level of liability that the left tackle position has been at times this year for Alabama. Like Alabama should right now have two major concerns on their hands as far as how opposing defenses can attack them and apply pressure on Jalen Milrow. I'll give Jaden Roberts a ton of credit because has he been great? No, but he's been serviceable enough, more than serviceable enough. He's been an effective run blocker. He's held up fairly well in pass protection where you don't look at him and say, you know, that is a liability and that's a major problem. I don't think Tennessee is looking at him and saying, we're going to be able to get consistent success against this guy by attacking him and doing some different things. I think with the left tackle, that's a little bit of a different question uh, or a different approach if you're Tennessee. 
But uh, Jaden Roberts, uh, certainly give him a lot of credit. And, you know, Seth McLaughlin, uh, from a blocking standpoint, I haven't seen noticeable improvement necessarily. But from a snapping standpoint, which was the major concern, you still have some issues, but it's not as prevalent as it's been in recent weeks. Uh, and so, you know, as long as he's, I guess, moving in the right direction, that's big time too. But what you can't do, you know, Alabama has some natural advantages due to the home field and, you know, all those different things. You know, obviously, Tennessee's offense is out there uh, and the crowd's going crazy. They got a lot to deal with. So, so you have the the issues offensively that Alabama and Tennessee currently have, but Tennessee has to stack that on top of having to deal with the, a hostile environment. And so I think that that is, you know, something that Alabama will try to take advantage of. But yeah, it's the offensive line is obviously the biggest concern. Uh, and if they're not able to hold up enough, I mean, uh, you you give Tennessee, you'll take the crowd out of it quick. You give Tennessee a really good opportunity to win this football game. Yeah, you know, and another thing about this offense and going back to the running back position last week was the was the presence of four guys legitimately in the mix. It wasn't really a situation where you ever felt like Alabama was in such command of the game that it was like, let's get our top two guys out and let's get some other guys some work. There was obviously a plan to go three or four deep, which they did against Arkansas. And that kind of leads us to everyday American talking about the stretch run with Jam uh, and how he was able to, to carry that out on really an outside zone uh, that they had some success with. And and I think that goes back to if it isn't going to be more of Jalen Milrow in the run game, there's going to have to be more variety in how Alabama goes about using its backs. And I thought we saw that last week. We still saw split zone, inside zone, but we saw some gap scheme type of runs with the pullers, even the tight ends getting out in front and some counter action stuff. And then off the outside zone, you got a guy like Jam Miller that can certainly do damage with his speed. I, I wonder, though, you know, how realistic is that to go another week and, and script in or write in four guys that, that get opportunities? I think part of it, too, is you know these coaches understand you're getting into the deep end of the pool of the season when you better have depth ready to go at certain positions. And I think running back is certainly maybe at the top or near the top of that list. Yeah, I, th I thought Alabama did a better job of attacking outside when Jam Miller and Justice Haynes were in there. And, and I think that they bring di a different element uh, as far as their – and this isn't to take away anything from Jace McClellan or Roy Dell Williams. They've both ran really hard this year. They're good running backs. They're reliable. They don't put the football on the ground. Uh, they, you know, they've had struggles, or at least Jace McClellan has in pass protection, but in the years past, he's been pretty reliable. And so you feel like the fact that he's a veteran player, you can um, you can trust him in those situations, probably more so than others. And I did think it was interesting that late against Arkansas, when the the Razorbacks were able to kind of close the gap, you saw Alabama condense the running back rotation back to just two guys. Part of that's going to happen. I mean, it doesn't matter if you've got you know. I think even in years past, when they've had a consistent four man rotation or three man rotation at the position. When you're in kind of crunch time, you want to go with the guys that you know you can trust that can, that can get the job done. And you don't want uh, a guy who's not as proven like a Jam Miller or a Justice Haynes, a true freshman, making some sort of young player mistake that ends up costing you the football game. And so that's kind of natural. But I think that both guys did well. I think when Alabama probably the you know the coaching staff went back and watched the film, 
They probably saw some good things, and I think you're going to continue to see them be a part of this rotation because they, like I said, bring something a little bit different. And, you know, I think Alabama in, you know, they need more of that where it's like you said, variation. I think they've been way too set in how they operate offensively at times. I mean, I would even say like a good representation of that. I've been looking back at the first play of the game, uh, what was called uh, compared to past offensive coordinators. And I've been going back through and kind of grabbing clips of all the first plays just to kind of show some comparison. I got some Lane Kiffin with Jalen Hurts in 2016. I got some, you know, uh, Brian DeBall in 2017 with Jalen Hurts. I got, you know, so I'm kind of working through it, but it's been pretty interesting because Tommy Reese has been very vanilla on that front. And I think that that's kind of carried over into other, you know, situations as far as game script is concerned. And when you get off game script as well, uh, I think that that's kind of affected things. And I'll be curious to see how he kind of changes moving forward. It's like changing the eye level in baseball if you're a pitcher. You know, if you got three or four guys, you got three or four pitches, and they sort of complement the other, the others, uh, effectively. And now you're pitching; you're not just throwing. And I think for Alabama, offenses maybe in the first half of the season were able to look fastball a lot of times with Jason Roydell. Now you start mixing in some guys that they don't have a lot of tape on, guys that they haven't seen as much of with Jam and what he brings to the mix. And Justice is kind of an all-around guy, uh, and maybe you can you can dictate a little bit more in the run game than what we've seen from Alabama to this point. Hey, uh, Josh Batchelor, he wants to talk defense. Do you think, he asks, we will see more of Trez or Jihad at weak side linebacker this week? With their pace of play, talking about Tennessee's, uh, Josh says he leans towards Jihad, but Josh likes Trez's pass rush and what he's been able to do and getting pressure. I think Alabama has done a better job this year for sure, a sort of timing things up. And even going back to the spring game, that was one of the more encouraging things that I saw back in April was that, and they worked on it. Even in the spring game, they were bringing some of those inside linebackers through those A-gaps, uh, and it seems to have translated nicely. You know, it's an interesting question, though, and we'll bring our guy, by the way, Jimmy Stein, on here to help us with this. Hey. There he is. Hey. Jimmy, how are we doing this evening? Good, good. You guys? You jumped right in here as we're talking inside yeah. linebacker play. First of all, great to see Deontay Lawson back out there the last few games playing at a high level. But the other guy, whether it's Jihad Campbell, whether it's Trez Marshall, who there's been some questions about his health this week. Uh, I think if it comes down to that, you you go with a fully healthy Jahad Campbell. Now, if Trez is truly good to go, yeah, I think perhaps that's a series by series thing that you consider. And Jimmy, I'll start with you on that. I think Trez may have played his best game uh, before uh, being injured uh, against Arkansas. I thought he was, you know, he's so dynamic on that blitz. Alabama hadn't really had an inside linebacker as good as he is, I think, in terms of getting to the quarterback on that blitz, uh, just a veteran presence. A little bit like Deontay. He can play traffic cop out there. Uh, real agile athletically. Uh, but Jihad brings a little something different to the table. To me, Jihad is a physical presence, maybe unlike what Alabama's had in the middle of the field. So I, I'm with you, Travis. I think if Trez just, you know, if Trez is a hundred percent healthy, 
I think it's almost situational in terms of when you see Trez versus when you see Jihad. If it's up to me, I mean, I, I like Jihad in some circumstances, Trez and others. I think they're both outstanding. I, I think they've both had really good years. Uh, and it's a tribute to the Alabama inside linebacker uh, coaching uh, uh, staff because I think it's more than one guy doing it, frankly. Uh, I think it's a tribute to them that every inside linebacker they put on the field this fall uh, looks ready to help and uh, is an impactful player. But uh, to answer uh, that that great question, uh, you know, I lean more towards Trez due to his veteran presence and him coming off what I thought was his best performance. But I have zero hesitation in uh, playing Jahad Campbell. Yeah, it's again, we talked about this, Clint and I, earlier. Tennessee makes it tough to go situational because they're working at pace. Apple. So subbing is going to be precious. When you get those opportunities, you've got to be ready to go and have those guys uh, in line. So we'll see how Alabama handles that in this one. Um, and by the way, your inside linebackers better bring it this week because Jalen Wright doesn't go down easy. He yeah. reminds me a little bit of a carry-on Johnson, that type of back. Physically, you look at him, he's impressive, but he runs even bigger than his size would indicate. Jabari Small is compact, powerful. Uh, Dylan Sampson is very capable, Clint. Uh, you better bring something with you to the party because Tennessee wants to get that box thinned out and then get you isolated with those backs, and they feel comfortable that they can win those one-on-ones. And, you know, for the big guys up front this week, too, it's to me it's more about gap integrity. You can't go rogue and try to play hero ball and jump out of gaps because Tennessee loves to hit you with cutbacks in the run game, and then you got a real problem. Yeah, if, if you're asking who I think is going to start at will, I'm going with Justin Jefferson. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I'm still – I'm still recovering from that uh, preseason fan. prediction. Um, He's in but, the fan club. So if you're asking me to, you know, obviously I, I've had some swing and misses at that position already, but I, I feel like this is a game where you're going to see a ton of Trez Marshall. I, I really do. And the reason being is, is because, A, it's one of those closer games. You're expecting it to be close, and, and you, in those types of situations, kind of want to rely on your veteran guys. Marshall's playing great football right now. He's a good run stopper. Tennessee's obviously a, a great rushing offense. And not only that, but I think from a, you know, a gap responsibility and just run fits and things like that, Jihad Campbell has made tremendous strides in that area. But I still think that there is growth that needs to be had. And I, with, you know, uh, Trez Marshall, I think he's got great a great feel for how to play the position, being in the right place at the right time. And so against this style of offense and the fact that I think from a coverage standpoint, uh, you know, Squirrel White's going to be a problem inside, certainly. Uh, and they've got some other guys that can cause some issues as well. But I think that, you know, you can kind of mask some of those deficiencies based off of what Tennessee is offensively this year compared to last year. And if you can do that, then I think Marshall just this just feels like a game where you can trust him a little bit more. Uh, you know, and I think that that's going to be a crucial factor in all this. You're definitely going to see Jahad Campbell, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if it was like a, you know, a 75-25 type of split, 70-30, that kind of thing. And, you know, with what Marshall brings as far as being able to pressure the quarterback, that's certainly been big. And so, you know, you, you've got some deficiencies in coverage. He's a little bit stiff, a little bit limited, not quite Shane Lee in that regard uh, or even close for that matter. But you know, if when you're getting the other elements, you can kind of work around if there's a, something that a, a, an off ball linebacker doesn't do necessarily well. 
if you have a player like Deontay Lawson playing next to him. And we talk about pressuring Joe Milton potentially. And it seems like with both these quarterbacks, there's this narrative that they are elusive. And I don't really see it as much. I think the thing you want to prevent with both is limiting how many opportunities they get to leave the pocket and get downhill and straight line runs for both Jalen Milrow and Joe Milton. These aren't Charlie Ward type of guys. I know I'm severely dating myself with that, <laughs> with that analogy. What you there. think. Google Charlie Ward. You'll see what I'm talking about. Jimmy knows. Jimmy's always got me. <laughs> so these part. are these quarterbacks are the Derrick Henrys of, of Yes, I, I think so. Yeah. And I know, you know, when I when I made the comparison of Jalen to um, you know, to to the guys that I've compared him to, Josh Allen to the Bills, that's why. Because Josh Allen is a hell of an athlete, but he's a hell of an athlete at 6'5, 240. Not that Jalen's that, but kind of similar in how they can hurt you running the football. And so uh, what do you think from that standpoint on third and eight, third and seven? And we talked about this with Clint too, Jimmy. We both don't envision Tennessee just totally getting away from the run on second and third and long. It kind of puts you in a bind if you're either of these defenses, really. Sure, sure. Uh, You know, Tennessee just so different than they were a year ago. I think last year on third and seven, third and ten, they're just as dangerous as they were on first and 10 or second and two. I mean, when, when they spread it out and could run as many vertical routes as they would from multiple players, often on the same snap, uh, they were just a real uh, scary team in terms of how they would attack you. And whether it was third and 10 or first and 10 didn't really matter. This year, much different, much different. If Alabama can get Tennessee in third and long, you've got to like Alabama's chances uh, because Milton's just not quite as scary. Uh, I don't think even as a runner, uh, he's got a big arm, but he just hasn't been as effective uh, or efficient throwing the ball down the field. But as a runner, uh, like you just point out, Travis, he's not a make make you miss guy. He's just really what amounts to a fullback. But uh, but but you know he can be effective running the ball. Just he is athletic for his size. He will run you over. Uh, you know, you better hit him low. Terry on, don't go in high like you did with KJ, you know, last week. Similar challenge this week that you got last week. They're, they're to me, sort of similar players. I give a nod to KJ in terms of, you know, I think KJ is a better player, to be honest, but they're sort of similar. I think KJ might be a little more athletic, but, but the big strong thing, the big arm, uh, the athleticism to a degree sort of similar. Uh, Joe just hasn't been able to put it all together as a passer. Uh, you know, I, I think I think the biggest difference in this game to me almost, guys, is from last year's the third and long. Like I said, third and 10 meant you could lose the game on the next snap. Uh, third and 10 this year, Tennessee might lose the game on the next snap. You know, and we, we look at these two offenses and you look at how well Tennessee runs the football – Again, not a great touchdown conversion rate when it comes to red zone. Uh, And similar to a week ago, when you wondered about those two teams, Arkansas and Alabama, who will be more efficient uh, in the red zone? Who will have to maybe lean more on place kicking? I think Alabama feels good about that, but obviously wouldn't like to do that too much. It wasn't much of a problem last year. Well, I mean, you had so many explosive play touchdowns last year that Red zone wasn't much of a problem for Tennessee regardless. But speed RTR right here in our comments 
Clint, with Alabama struggles on OL being a theme, why hasn't both quick and slow screens been more utilized? Seems like the pass plays often are longer developing. I think speed RTR is onto something there. Yeah, it's definitely something that I think we can all agree on that they should be utilizing more. Now, going back and watching some of the early stuff like against MTSU, uh, you know, from the first play of the game, uh, you know, there was a quick screen to uh, Isaiah Bond. I thought it was a very well-designed play. It had some success, but Isaiah Bond had to dip down to be able to catch it. And I think one the closer to the line of scrimmage that you get, the the more problems that you have as far as Jalen Milrose mechanics and accuracy. And so I think maybe, and I'm speculating here, I don't know if this is the case because I've been asking the same question myself. Why aren't they doing this more? It makes no sense. If if teams are teeing off on you in certain situations, try to catch them off guard. If they're sending a bunch of run blitzes, you know, screens and stuff would be effective against that kind of thing. And you're just not seeing it. And my only guess at this point, either it's, um, I, for lack of a better word, incompetency at, at offensive coordinator, which I, I have, I do think that Tommy Reese has been limiting in some ways. I also think he's very handcuffed uh, in what he can run, but I don't think that he's to the point where he doesn't understand that that would be an effective strategy to utilize. I think more so it's, you know, in those types of plays, it's not just running a play to run a play to try to get them to back off. If you have success doing it, then that's when the defense starts backing off and it starts, you know, they have to change how they're playing you. If Milrow's not putting the football, not only if if he can't get it to the guy, but if he's having trouble placing it in a way where the receiver can create yardage after the catch and you're not, you know, it's not very successful, then maybe you don't feel comfortable running that stuff. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, you know, it certainly could be something else that I'm not thinking of, but it's a great point. And you would certainly like to see them implement a little bit more of that if possible. But I also will say we've been talking about more design quarterback runs and we haven't seen that to this point either could be injury related or it could be you know just the fact they don't want to do it but regardless i feel like there are multiple things that these guys could be doing to kind of help themselves and they're just not doing it and i think there's a reason for that yeah jimmy i've that's been my thought after about five or six starts now for jalen milrow is it must be something they're just not comfortable with or it's something that maybe jalen's not comfortable with and that that's the only thing I can come up with because how many years in a row has the quick game been a central piece to the Alabama offense? Not the Tommy Reese offense, not the Lane Kiffin offense or Sark offense. The Alabama offense going through various offensive coordinators has had that quick game component. This one, it's almost nil. Now, if you consider the second half of Texas A&M, and what we saw Alabama come out and do in the third quarter of that game as the quick game, that's fine. That, to me, was more of a controlled passing attack. That was almost West Coast in nature is what it felt like. But to Clint's point and to our viewers' point, I'm talking about smoke screens, getting the ball out quick. Even, But you know what else we don't really see much of either? Our jets, jet sweeps, easy touches. You got guys so like much. Bond and Prentice and these guys that can run. And I'm not the biggest Jet Sweep fan in the world, okay? But I understand how it can add to the stress that a defense is experiencing. And when you go back and watch Tennessee's game against Florida a month or so ago down in Gainesville, give Napier 
and that offensive staff credit because they came out and did some of that stuff. They got east-west early, gave Tennessee some different things to look at, then got Etienne going the way they wanted to get him going. What do you think about all that, Jimmy? Well, as far as the screens go, again, we can only guess because we have we've seen so little of it. But just in terms of, to me, what logically uh, is the answer is they've tried this in, in practice and it doesn't look yeah. good or doesn't work well. I, that's what makes the most sense to me. Like, why doesn't it work well? You know, when you're throwing screens, there's so many different types of screens, whether smoke screen, bubble screen, wide receiver screen, you know, the, the, the little toss to the running back. Uh, and, you know, one guess I have here is, you know, Milrow, to me, in terms of what type of quarterback he is, you know, in terms of what he's really good at, and we see this with the deep ball, he's sort of a fastball guy. You know, when Milrow's got to put a ton of effort in a throw, whether it's a deep throw, whether it's a high-velocity throw, that, to me, is him at his best. He's a fastball pitcher. That, that's, that's what he can do. That's what got him recruited. Not everybody's got that arm that he's blessed with. But I think, you know, in terms of what I would call the off-speed pitches – you know, the change up, the curveball, uh, you know, the sinker, the the repertoire of pitches isn't there for him yet. And I'm wondering if maybe on some of these screens, there's not quite as much confidence. And I'm not even just talking about accuracy. I think we have all seen a lot of football to, to realize that if you float a screen and it's just floating up there against SEC speed, that's not just a problem. It's a pick six. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that maybe, and, and again, this is a guess on my part, that maybe they're just not really comfortable with uh, with making those tight throws around the line of scrimmage where you're not just talking about a disaster. You're talking about, you know, the other team's band is playing, you know, when, when, when you, you really mess that up. But Hopefully it's something that can be added. I've talked about since the beginning, of, since the beginning of handing the job to Milrow back in week four or week, I guess it was, yeah, week four, that where you start with a base and then you add to it. And hopefully he can keep up with that. Each week you're just adding stuff and adding stuff until he's you've eventually got a really thick uh, you know, play sheet over there. And and hopefully it's something they can add as he gains confidence and gets better and better because I see a kid that's getting better and better and better. Uh, improvements never linear, but he is getting better. Maybe that's something they can add late because I think it'd be super effective. Yeah, the Correct. traditional screen game, sorry, Clint, you no, know, okay. there's other things involved there too. I mean, you got coordination with the offensive line. We can look at that group and speculate that you know, they've never been – as I can recall it, a big running back screen team with Nick Saban, unless you're talking about swinging it out to TJ Yeldon and Baton Rouge <laughs> in 2012. That one obviously stands out uh, down in red stick, but year in and year out, um, especially in the last six, seven, eight years, they've been more perimeter oriented with the quick throws and trying to win with one. And you know what else they haven't been the last couple of years, a really good perimeter blocking team. You know, right. I mean, you can say what you want about Judy and Devontae and all that. Those guys blocked for each other. They got after it as perimeter blockers. I haven't seen that as much of late. But, Clint, as we let you go here, we've already held you over, man. You're going to get OT on us if we don't watch out. Tim won't like that. Uh, any departing thoughts as we, we let you get, get out and uh, look ahead to this game Saturday? 
Yeah, I think that you brought up a great point with the the Jets uh, because we saw so much of that early on in football games and previous with previous offensive coordinators. I mean, just going back and looking at those first play of the games, it's Calvin Ridley, it's our Darius Stewart. They're getting the the manufactured scripted touches early, letting them get east and west, and that's it's a change of pace, you know, and and that shouldn't be overly difficult. I mean, if you can't do a you know, uh, get the the receiver the ball in a jet. I mean, you've got a big problem, and I don't think that Milrow is incapable of that. So I don't know why they're not utilizing that stuff more. But you need to see more variety. Uh, I, I part of me thinks that it's just Tommy Reese feels so limited. Like Bill O'Brien was limited as far as his offensive line. It handcuffed what he could call or do offensively. I don't think fans realize enough how much it did in 2021. Tommy Reese, in some ways, is dealing with the same problem, but on top of that, he's got a quarterback that can kind of compound some of those issues. He hangs onto the football too long. He takes unnecessary sacks when he could throw the football away. He's prone to, you know, sometimes make decisions that you want back. Bill O'Brien at least had a quarterback, a Heisman winning quarterback, who could compensate for a lot of that. Pocket awareness was elite. You know, the, his ability to improvise, his ability to get on the move. Uh, just he was able to overcome a lot and so I think Reese has gotten a little bit too limited thinking that he's limited and what you would like to see him do is just expand that a little bit more and if he can do that uh, I think that he ends up having uh, this offense ends up having quite a bit of success down the stretch this year but there's a lot of problems that need to be fixed and hopefully it starts on Saturday but boys I appreciate you uh, having me on it was good talking football with you guys and we'll talk soon Enjoyed it, Clint. Thanks for awesome. so much for joining us on TNT once again. Look forward to your continued coverage with us right there at BamaOnline.com. Talk soon. Thanks, Clint. There goes Clint Lamb checking out on a Thursday night. You know, we kind of continue that conversation, Jimmy, and it may have something to do with how defenses are playing Alabama now, right? I mean, sure. let's let's talk about the receivers because – with Judy and Devontae and Ruggs and Waddle and Mechie and Jamo, there was a respect that had to be paid to those guys. So the type of coverages that you saw with those guys, probably different now. Not that Jermaine Burton hasn't been productive in stretches, not that they don't have some quality guys, but when you're elite across the board like Alabama was, you're damn right early in the game we're going to play off coverage. And if you guys want to run jet sweep for seven yards to those guys instead of hitting us over the top, more power to you. Yeah, and, you know, with, with the Milrow only making that, what, he's got six starts uh, this year, uh, one start last year, so, you know, six or seven career starts, the least experienced starting quarterback in the SEC. It makes all the sense in the world, Travis, for defenses to play Alabama and say, we want – Jalen Milroad, uh, you know, if they're going to beat us, they're going to beat us with him throwing the football. Uh, they're not going to beat us handing it to those backs that we know are quality players. They're not going to beat us with running their quarterback. They're going to beat us with Jalen Milroad throwing the football. I think a recipe for a uh, lack of success at Alabama is just literally number of attempts. I mean, for instance, if you told me right now, uh, before the game started on Saturday, Travis, that Jalen Milroad threw the ball 40 times. Against Tennessee, I would tell you uh, that's a loss. They were behind. <laughs> they were behind. They had to throw it too much. 30 attempts would be, I don't know. I don't think that's Alabama's recipe right now. I think somewhere in the 20s is nice, and, and that, that's enough. 
but Tennessee wants Alabama to throw it more. Uh, Alabama wants a little more. No, we're going to run it first and complement that with, uh, with with the downfield shots. Uh, but Alabama is defended, I think, in that manner where you're sort of being invited to, to throw it. But he has deemed teams enough, Travis, downfield to where you have to be wary of it at least a little bit. I mean, no one's just going to give him the back third. No one's going to hand him that. But at the same time, you're like, hey, you know, if you want to operate in the intermediate area, you know, give give it a shot. But we're not going to let your backs, we're not going to let your backs run for 250 yards because if if we can put it on that right arm of the of the young, inexperienced, mistake prone quarterback, uh, then that's what we're going to do. Jalen Milrow in SEC play is averaging 10.9 yards per attempt. I didn't have that's that great. back in the preseason. No, and that's great. Especially when you consider that that uh, Jaden Daniels is averaging eleven point four, and he's just having an otherworldly type of season. He could win the Heisman. He I mean, should, he could win the probably Heisman should. Number. Daniels' campaign comes down to probably Tuscaloosa in a couple weeks, and then if if he can win that game and LSU can get back to Atlanta, then he gets another opportunity uh, in the SEC championship game in front of. Heisman Trophy voters, but uh, you talk about thresholds, and we talked about this with Clint earlier. You know, you look at Tennessee's only loss of the season. Uh, it got off just 30 runs against Florida. That was season low, 30 runs. So those numbers to keep in mind, right? I know you talked about it with Jalen, and if he gets up into the mid-30s or more in pass attempts, probably not a good sign for Alabama. Uh, but I guess you could look at that with Tennessee, too, as yep. far as the number of runs the balls are able to squeeze off in this one. No, that's exactly right. I mean, Alabama sort of needs to defend Tennessee the same way. I mean, if if Wright and Small uh, have their typical games, Alabama's in a little bit of trouble. I mean, you gotta, you're you going to have to force uh, Joe Milton to be the reason they win the game uh, with his arm completing passes down the field because you've sort of taken away that run or at least limited it. The, the numbers to me already talked about that Florida game. I mean, Florida held Tennessee to 100 yards rushing. If Alabama does Saturday, that game's over. I mean, that, that's the way I look at it. If Alabama holds Florida to 100 yards rushing, then Milton's got to make up for that. I mean, I know football's very complicated. It's also very simple. And one of the most simple things I say, uh, boy, this, is, this isn't even 101. This is remedial stuff. But there's only two ways to move the football on the ground and in the air. That's the only two ways. It's the only ways you get production. It's the only ways to get points on the ground or in the air. Tennessee wants to do this on the ground. That's where they're really good. If you limit it, if you hold them to 100 yards, they're probably going to need 300 yards, 350, 400 to win this game. You hold them to 100 yards rushing, there's only one way for them to get to 350 or 400. That's with 250 or 300 yards passing. And uh, so far, that just hasn't looked like a great recipe for Tennessee uh, and, and that that's going to be the challenge for Alabama is, is limiting right and small they're going to get some yards but Florida did it and I am sure they have poured over that tape in uh in Malmore at the Malmore this week when you look at those three Tennessee backs Wright's really the guy that it's translated with into SEC play as far as yards per carry Jabari Small, Dylan Sampson, it's not bad. It's four plus, but it's not five plus like it is 
with Jalen Wright. So with that stat in mind, I'm going to ask you this question. Most important player for the Alabama defense in this game Saturday, who do you got there? You know, I wanted to say Malachi Moore, you know, because I think his physical presence at star, uh, Alabama will be in nickel almost the entirety of this game. And we already alluded to the fact that playing a fastball offense, you can't substitute as much Alabama very likely, I think, in this game to go with nickel, stick with nickel. Last year against Tennessee, you almost had to go with dime, stay in dime because of the way <laughs> they spread it out. But but now it's probably a little more nickel. I want to say Malachi, but I'm not. Uh, I, I'm going to go more almost old school and say Deontay Lawson. Uh, in the sense that he's he's the presence in the middle. He's the one that gets everybody lined up in the run fits. And I think if there's one player that is sort of in charge of stopping the inside run, uh, it's Deontay, uh, both as a playmaker and as the line caller. So I, I think it's Lawson because, again, it's it's the, you know, you already put what writes like it's seven seven yards per carry and, and, and uh, no, yeah. Right's at seven yards a carry smalls at over five yards a carry. Uh, you can't have that. You can't have that on Saturday. We will lose the game. So to me, it's Deontay Lawson. Though I wanted to say Malachi star. We're not a hundred percent sure that he's going to play even, but uh, if he does, he would also be very valuable because he's, he's the DB on the field that can most influence the run game. He Caleb downs too, but Malachi at star, I think is important, but my answer is Deontay. Yeah, I like both those guys, Deontay, for some obvious reasons. They love to put linebackers in conflict. They'll try to get Deontay and Trez or um, Jihad running sideline to sideline to start with, and they do that just so they can start trying to gut you with the inside run between the hashes. At some point, they want to get you really in a tough spot. Um, I'll go with the bigs. I don't know if there's just one that I would pick, but as I said earlier, this is uh, a gap integrity type of game up front. Uh, Tim Keenan, Shaheem Otis, uh, when you play Justin Aboigby inside some, if you're able to get into that kind of look, uh, Damon Payne as well. I think the true big dudes this week have to hold it down because Tennessee was light on its offensive line at Florida too in that loss. Didn't have a couple starters. I think Mays was out. Maybe Mincy didn't start at tackle. Um, Mays is back now. He's an integral piece to their interior offensive line. So you need those inside guys to be legit against this Tennessee run game. And if you do that, then Deontay Lawson and Trez and uh, even your nickel, if it is Malachi Moore, maybe it's Terry and Arnold. And, and I think you're right uh, about um, – about Malachi and his value um, because if he can play and you can keep Tarion outside to go along with Kool-Aid, then you can challenge those Tennessee re receivers. I think this time around, you might give up a play or two. You're not going to get torched like you did last year. And then with Malachi, maybe freed up a little bit more to help against the run. You know, that's where you could see that impact. If, if he can't go and you're playing Tarion inside, I think Tarion will be okay at star. But you're going to feel as good about maybe manning up Trey Amos? You no. know, that's where that's no. where the question, I guess, comes in a little bit. No, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, and it's a different Tennessee wide receiver core, no doubt. I mean, I know that their X's and O's are, are bothersome, to say the least. But uh, but last year, the, you know, they filled out those X's and O's with some 
pretty good Jimmys and Joes. They're not quite as good to me outside as they were a year ago. And and I, I don't know that they got those dudes that can just fully take advantage of Alabama's coverage in the middle of the field. Uh, I, I do think Alabama is, is, is pretty good there. Uh, but of course, you got a freshman at one safety spot. You got the UAB transfer at the other safety spot. It's not like they wouldn't take their shots again if they had the same crew and the same quarterback back. I'm just not sure they're equipped for it. But they're equipped for something else. They, they you know, it's the fastball and it's running. I, I call it. They hurry to run. They hurry to run. They want you. They want to go fast. Yeah. yeah, they they want to go fast. And hope that you line up wrong and don't have have gap discipline Busted. because of the speed at which they're playing, and uh, that that's what's going to be a huge challenge for Kevin Steele and uh, and T. Rob and the and the the Alabama Defensive Brain Trust is how can we maintain gap discipline while playing fast? Uh, but I think Alabama's better equipped to deal with it this year. Yeah. And I, I think Tennessee's not quite as equipped. That's why, hey, Tennessee might win this game. They might, but it's not going to be 52 to 49. You know, yeah, I think you know. that, you know, all due respect, Byron Young, really nice season last year, was happy to see him have that on his way out. Uh, DJ Dale, really solid player. But when you're talking about true anchor types that should be able to hold it down on the interior, Tim Keenan, the way he's playing right now, Damon Payne, not much flash to his game, but I think he can hold up. And then, of course, Jaheim Otis as well. Those are three guys I think you feel really good about going into this contest. Kenny Grant here in the comments says, Caleb Downs is his pick, his most important play. Could be. I mean, if you're a safety in this game, you got to help limit those explosive plays, not just in the passing game, but there are going to be some runs that get a little bit out of the gate and it's going to be on downs and Jalen key to keep those things from hitting the paint, which is going to be important because I think if you can make Tennessee at least play red zone offense and shrink the field and, you know, kind of put it more on Milrow to throw the, um, excuse me, Milton to throw the football, uh, then you can have some success down there on that end of the field, a lot of interesting matchups in this game. And we talk about all of them. And then we, we don't really get into the kicking game all that much. Although if I thought about an advantage for Alabama in this game, not that Tennessee isn't capable with its specialists, but you would think this is where both Will Reichert and James Burnup could prove especially helpful. If it is in fact a close game on Saturday. Well, both teams want to run the ball, so field position's big. Burnup can help you win and flip field position. Uh, Reichard helps helps you win. Drives inevitably bogged down. This is a good Tennessee defense. Again, not Tennessee in 2022. This is a completely different team. They're much better in spots they weren't good last year, and they're not nearly as good in spots they were very good a year ago. But overall, defensively, it's a much better Tennessee team. You can see Alabama moving the ball, but bogging down when the field gets condensed. That's where Reichard becomes extremely valuable. And you certainly like Alabama's advantages there in terms of the kicker-punter combination. And also in the return game, we, you know, Kool-Aid sort of struggled fielding punts. Maybe he's dropped a couple. There hasn't been a big play. But to, but to me, we know Kool-Aid's a good player. We know that, Travis. That That's not like speculation. That's not hope. We yeah. know he can bust one. So he's going to. It's, it's almost inevitable that Kool-Aid's going to make a big play uh, as a punt returner at some point. And uh, 
Maybe that happens this weekend uh, in, in games that are decided by one score, 10 points or less. Uh, special teams is huge. I think it's an advantage for Alabama this weekend. Yeah, Tennessee had some complimentary kicking game against Texas A&M last Saturday. Pinned the Aggies on like their one-yard line, forced a three and out. A&M has to punt from its own end line in the end zone. It's not a good punt, and Tennessee returns that punt that for a touchdown. It. That was largely the difference in that the side win. of the game. Yeah, the side of the game. Texas A&M. SK here in the comments as we wrap up, we get out of here. Uh, if UT hurries up and gets nothing running that speed offense, might backfire and put that UT defense on the field all day long. Maybe SK, Jimmy, is sensing a little Ole Miss 2021 in Tuscaloosa. Remember that one? <laughs> oh, in yeah. That corral uh, and that grab, run game. and Grab your popcorn. Yes. Yeah, grab your popcorn. And then uh, I think Lane and the Rebels had the ball <laughs> for like 19 minutes, something like that. <laughs> It is true. They they hurry to run, and then if you stop the run, uh, then you get the ball back sort of quickly. Uh, I can I can see it being really a low scoring thing. I saw an expert on ESPN say as one of his picks of the weekend is the under in, in Alabama Tennessee just for that for that very reason. Uh, and I think it's very possible. I won't be shocked, Travis, if the score in this game is something like seventeen to ten yeah. or or thirteen ten or seventeen thirteen. Uh, very possible. If there, if lots of three and outs, lots of punts. If there's not some non-offensive touchdown scenarios, mm-hmm. uh, sure, very much with you on that. If the game's pretty clean, and uh, you know, there's not a lot of short fields, and the the kicking games kind of do what it looks like they're capable of doing. Could be some long fields and some uh, some punting and some yeah. perhaps some opportunities on fourth down for both these offenses. Well, Jimmy. We're going to get out of here. I think we've pretty much covered it from offense to defense to special teams. Kenny, by the way, here says the crowd has to be on point two, so we've got the home field advantage covered. I would think that wouldn't be much of a problem for Alabama. Not against, not against Tennessee, and Nick Saban made a personal appeal on his radio show tonight for the fans to, to, to be a difference in the game. Tennessee is rushing the field after that win last year. Ooh. Yeah, now it's Alabama's fans' turn not to rush the field. I don't, no, want, to see no, that. That won't. I don't want to see those goalposts in the Black Warrior. I don't. <laughs> but what I would like to see is Alabama's fans making a difference on those third and tens. That, you know, the defense is going to do its part getting Tennessee to third and ten, then the fans have to do their part. Yeah, absolutely. Jimmy, it's been a lot of fun, my man. Oh, yeah, I love this show every Thursday. Uh, already looking forward to next week, the off week show. Absolutely. Good stuff with Jimmy Stein. Also, Clint Lamb helping us out as well. Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us right here on Thursday Night Tide on the YouTube and podcast homes for BamaOnline.com. Speaking of which, you need to hang out with us at BOL. If you're not a subscriber of Bama Online, you need to take advantage of the big game special we have going on right now, 50% off an annual subscription to BOL available to new subscribers right now. Be sure to check that out as well. Travis Ryer, thanking you once again. Until next time, so long, everybody. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, It's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. 
Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-427 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York. 